I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but a guest that you will be seeing a ton of over the next couple weeks is Noah Eagle, who will serve as the play-by-play voice along with Nate Brawlson for Nickelodeon's broadcast of the Super Bowl. We will really get into that. There are obviously more people on this broadcast than uh, than Noah and Nate, uh, including animated characters, but uh, I won't name them all here. Noah Eagle is, of course, also the play-by-play voice of Big Ten Saturday Night. That's the primetime game for the Big Ten that airs uh, each week on NBC and streams live on Peacock. Noah also does college basketball for Peacock. He, he actually will be in Vegas later this week. He's got some Peacock games right now. And then does uh, NBA for the Yes Network, where his dad, Ian Eagle, works, and the occasional Tennis Channel assignment as well. And with that, I bring in Noah Eagle. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, I appreciate it. I feel like we're missing just one person with three syllables on their last name. We've got Deitch, one, Eagle, two, Antonetti, four. We need someone with three, and then we'd be complete. We're there. I'll see if I'll see if I can rustle up somebody in the next uh, 25 minutes uh, to, <laughs> make, like it. to make that happen. All right. So I really do want to ask you and kind of focus at the beginning here on the Nickelodeon broadcast, because I don't think people realize the challenges that exist for a play-by-play broadcaster because it – and I, we will, I will get into your preparation for this. But the reality is you are doing this broadcast for an entirely different audience, obviously an audience of young people. And there are elements to this broadcast that will never exist in any other broadcast in terms of dealing with animated characters and all sorts of stuff that happens on the screen. So let's start here. What's the biggest challenge for you when it comes to doing this broadcast? Yeah, it probably sounds obvious as I talk about it, but it's finding the right balance of actually preparing as if I was calling the game and then preparing for all the other stuff that comes with a Nickelodeon or really any alternate broadcast. So anytime you do any sort of alternate broadcast, and I've been fortunate to get a chance to do a couple of them now, it's finding what the target audience is looking for. And I think it's hard to keep reminding myself what the target target audience is looking for in something like this because I'm so accustomed to saying, all right, well, what makes this team so good on third down? What makes this defense so stingy in the red zone? Or why is the kicker struggling from this distance? And, and actually finding the answers to those, that's not really as relevant for something like this. What's more relevant is Patrick Mahomes' favorite ice cream flavor. And then how can I incorporate that he loves mint chocolate chip 
in the middle of a really important drive of the Super Bowl and doing that seamlessly. But I think that when you remember that the target audience here is is younger kids who maybe have never watched football before or really have only watched the Nickelodeon broadcast the last couple of years as their introduction to the sport, then you remember that those nitty gritty details aren't quite as important. So, yeah, the preparation completely changes. I'm not looking for stats as much. I'm looking more for storyline stuff. I'm looking more for fun background. We do have a chance most of the time. Uh, all but one game we've done, we've met with players and gotten a little bit deeper into their childhood or into their interests outside of football or into some of the stuff that they watched as kids, maybe on Nickelodeon and characters they love. And that stuff I feel like really ends up resonating with the kids. So it's been good. It's been different. It's a nice change of pace. I would say it would be difficult to do all the time as a broadcaster because it's not what you're trained to do, but it's definitely a fun change up. All right. So you mentioned that, um, you know, you have to know things like what's Patrick Mahomes favorite uh, ice cream flavor, you know, what's uh, Travis Kelsey's favorite color, you know, whatever or cartoon character, like whatever it turns out to be. So to me, that would mean that the preparation for this game is very unique because you have to study some things that you would never, ever have to do in a traditional NFL broadcast. So I wonder for my audience, as specific as you can, can you take us through what your preparation is for calling this year's Super Bowl as it relates to the Nickelodeon broadcast? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I will say I'll start with the story of just getting the job because I, I do think it relates to the preparation in some respects. When I interviewed for this job, it was really in the middle of COVID. So it was on a Zoom and it was with somebody from Nickelodeon. And one of the last questions I got asked was, did you watch Nickelodeon growing up? And, and she said, it's by no means a requirement. We just like to ask everybody. And I didn't even know if I was the only candidate they were talking to, if they had a laundry list or anything. I found out later that I was, I believe, one of three people that they were interested in. And when they asked that question, I was apparently the only one who genuinely not only watched Nickelodeon, but started quoting and doing impression of characters on this Zoom. And that's what ended up sealing the deal and getting me this gig. And it was all a real, very clear interest that I had as a kid and a clear background that I had in Nickelodeon knowledge. And so I take that and I say all that because the preparation for me, especially that first year and that second year, was going back and watching a lot of the stuff I watched as a kid, rewatching it, reimmersing myself in it. And I wanted to span every generation of Nickelodeon because it's been around for a long time, 30 years or so now. So when you've got 30 years of content, I want to go back to year one and I want to go all the way through year 30 because I need to familiarize myself with the current stuff. I'm not sitting and watching necessarily Nickelodeon Monday through Friday anymore like I was as a kid. So now I need to learn the characters of the Loud House and I need to learn about Henry Danger. and I need to learn about these shows that maybe I wasn't as familiar with as well as going back and rewatching all that or rewatching Legends of the Hidden Temple, which were shows from my childhood, all the way through Drake and Josh and the Zoe 101 era. So familiarizing myself with the entire Nickelodeon catalog and then Paramount catalog was important for me. And then, yeah, from a game perspective, I'm still going to have my outline of a chart. It's not going to be as detailed as mentioned with the football stuff as maybe a, a general game might be. But I'm going to have the the perfunctory stats in there. I'm going to make sure that I have the very bare bones knowledge of every player. The fortunate thing for this game, well, we've got the Chiefs and the Niners. 
Nickelodeon wise, we've had the Niners two years ago against the Cowboys in the wild card game. We had the Chiefs this year in our Nick Miss game on Christmas Day. I had the Niners in the regular season last year. I've seen the Chiefs a ton over the course of regular seasons, postseasons, et cetera, and been around for a couple of those games. So I'm familiar with both these teams. I've spoken now to coaches and, and stuff of that nature. So I got really fortunate with the matchup that I didn't have to over-prepare on the football side, and I can focus a lot more on the Nick. Do you um, do the Nickelodeon broadcasters have production meetings with the teams the same way the CBS guys will? Yeah, so just with a couple players, we don't really talk to the coaches as much. You know, I, I, that's to me the difference is you're going to sit down with Andy Reid, look him in the eye, and try to get legitimate information. Kyle Shanahan, I think in terms of production meetings and, and those I've been in, is among the best. He's just going to give you a, a complete almost encyclopedia of not just his offense and, and what he's anticipating for the game, but really football in general. It's a it's football, not just 101, but 202 and 303, I feel like, when you're getting Kyle Shanahan in those meetings. But we don't get that necessarily for Nickelodeon. And as I was saying, I think that's probably a good thing because as much as Kyle Shanahan, especially for a game like this, let's say, if this is week 12 of the regular season, he might be more interested in, in doing this stuff and talking about his childhood and talking about cartoons and stuff of that nature. Before the Super Bowl, when he is trying to lock in and win his first championship, I'm not so sure he's going to be as much of playing the game as maybe some of the players were. So, for example, we met with on Zoom Rasheed Rice, who rookie, young, Nick Bolton, second year player, young they fit that and they get it. They understand it. Same with on the other side, we met with Kyle Juszczyk, who we had a couple of years ago, and he was just outstanding and got it. He understood it. And so when you get players like that, it completely adds to the broadcast. But with all that, we also send out, and this is a, a huge shout out to our crew at Nickelodeon, led by Sean Robbins and Ken Mack, who's our game producer. And they do a great job of sending out these entire, basically questionnaires to the team with, as mentioned, favorite ice cream flavor, superpower you wish you had as a kid, favorite Nickelodeon character, favorite SpongeBob character. And it's probably 15 to 20 questions of that. And PR teams from from both sides usually get it to maybe 15 or 20 players. So now we have all those answers. So I'll have that printed out. I'll have it in front of me. They create graphics based on those answers. So it's it's a little different. We still have a little bit of that feel, but it's not a normal production meeting like you get for the big broadcast. You know, it, it, it's not um, something that uh, a broadcaster would train for, and that is to interact with animated characters. <laughs> um, you know, in some ways, that's essentially acting training. You know, if you were going to do one of these uh, like uh, animated films, and you're a um, you're a you're a, a real actor, and you have to navigate yourself with obviously animated characters, you and Nate have to sort of do this um, in terms of this broadcast. So. Um, like, I don't know, do you, do you work with a acting coach? Do you just sort of practice? How does it, how does that come about when you know that you got to interact with characters who are being voiced over by human beings, but, but ultimately what we see as viewers are animation. Yeah. I, this was a gradual process, fortunately for the, from the Nickelodeon side, because the first really two seasons we did it, there were no complete animation, direct contact. It was all humans. And then we had pre-produced stuff. Now in these last two years, it's been to your point live in front of you. And it's funny. I always like to make the joke when I was doing the Clippers on radio, I did it alone, which, you know, most people aren't accustomed to hearing that. Most people are like, wait, you don't have 
anyone you're talking to during the game? It was like, no, it's me, myself, and I. And the joke I would always say is most people get labeled as clinically insane when they talk to themselves. And I was receiving paychecks. It was a great gig. And now I feel like I've taken that to another level. Most people who are saying, I'm talking to SpongeBob right now, would literally be called insane and shunned from society. And I get to do it at the Super Bowl. So it's in terms of the gig, I, I, I was trying to think about it and put it in perspective for nine-year-old me the other day after I got off a of Zoom with SpongeBob and Patrick on it. And I was walking the street and I'm thinking, man, if the childhood version of me knew what I just did and knew what I'm about to do this weekend, I don't know if he'd be able to contain himself. He'd be grinning ear to ear for three weeks straight. He'd be bragging to all his friends. So I try to keep that in perspective. In terms of the actual training, there was no real training or or sessions or anything of that nature. I think it's just going and letting it rip and understanding that all broadcasts of any kind have some sort of a performance-based aspect to it. At the core, you know, you're still a performer. So it's tapping into that and just trying to find the right tone in between, which I think Nate has done a really good job of helping me with because he's done this now uh, for for the last couple seasons consistently doing the NFL Slime Time show on Nickelodeon. So he's got that feel. He brings the right energy. I can match that. And it helps when we've got kids on the sideline, which we do for this game as well. How much um, of the broadcast do you consider uh, explanation for the audience? Meaning, like, uh, how do you determine when if something happens in the game? Let, let's say it's uh, like a very unique situation. Where I'll give a perfect example. Like a coach has to make a decision on whether to go for it on fourth down as opposed to punting or kicking a field goal. You know, there may be people in your audience who don't sort of understand like what that could mean for the um, for the outcome. So how do you determine when it's time to explain as opposed to describe? Yeah, Dan Campbell could ruin the Nickelodeon broadcast. <laughs> I, I think Dan Campbell could definitely leave some some seven year old in Boise, Idaho, very confused. But yeah. although although it would be a great Nickelodeon character, ironically enough, 100 percent, 100 percent. He's built like a perfect gym buddy in a cartoon of some kind. He's he's awesome. I'm a huge Dan Campbell fan. I know that a lot of people are, and he obviously got a lot of criticism, but I, I understood where he was coming from and what he did all year. But that's beside the point. I, I would tell you that we've had this the last, really the first year with a catch-no-catch, catch, and that was the one that stood out right off the bat of, okay, how are we going to break down the catch rule to make it as simple as possible for somebody who's never watched this game before to digest. And I thought Nate was really good that first year, especially, and has been every year since. But the first year, what made it so special was it was a blank canvas. Nobody had done this before. Nobody had tried this, especially at that level. And so it was a completely fresh idea. So we got to paint the entire picture. We got to outline it and we got to color it in. And I thought Nate was really smart in how he brought different analogies and he was spot on with all of them. So for a catch, we kind of did this whole thing about, hey, you know, when you haven't seen your friend in a really long time and you go to hug them, you hug them with both hands and you don't let go. But when you let go and you only hug with the one hand, it's not really a full hug. You know what I mean? And so we, we did stuff like that where you're, you're trying to compare it to situations they're in, classroom or recess or after school activities and uh, being at home, you know, I think that Mitch Trubisky ended up getting benched in that game. And Nate said, that's like when your parent puts you in timeout 
And he was right, 100% correct. You know, you can come out of timeout eventually, but you've got to sit down and think about what you've done, the mistakes you've made. So I, I think those are always huge. And, and that's really where we, we rely on it. And understanding what requires ex- explanation and what doesn't, because we don't want to alienate the entire audience. We know that parents are watching too. And if we're over explaining and, and people who do watch and kids maybe who are football fans that just wanted to tune in because SpongeBob and Patrick are, are there, we understand that we can't alienate them. We can't talk down to them. So there's got to be the right blend. I think that's a challenge for every broadcast that we have of these. And it will especially be a challenge for a Super Bowl because there's so many more bells and whistles involved. When uh, when it comes to feedback, who gives you feedback or who is giving you feedback after the games that you've done for Nickelodeon? It's really the whole Paramount team. They're, they're so entrenched and they're really so involved and enamored with making this the best they possibly can. John Robbins is leading that charge and he's done just outstanding work. He's really, it's become his baby. I think the Nickelodeon NFL partnership has be- completely become his life and his life's work at this point, it feels like. And he's done unbelievable work with it. So he's at the top of the list. And I mentioned Ken Mack. You know, we've had a a couple of different people. And Suzanne Smith was our initial director. Now Andy Friedman's our our director right now. And they've done fantastic stuff. So they're getting in my ear also constantly during the games just to make sure that I'm on point and seeing what they're getting to. And but that that's really it. You know, I'll hear from people at Nickelodeon, Luke Wall, someone who's who's reached out a decent amount just to tell me that he's like this or maybe we should go there or this way. So it's an amalgam of people, but Sean Robbins leads that charge, and he's got a great team behind him. I mean, I guess you won't know until after the game, but uh, we'll sort of thought exercise it for you. Do you think that this can become a, you know, obviously CBS is not going to get the game every year, but do you think when CBS has it, do you think we will see a Nickelodeon alternative broadcast for future Super Bowls? Yeah, I think it's hard to say. I do think that they are really excited about it. And I do believe that all the work they put into it is appreciated, at least, especially the behind the scenes work. And I think I can't really stress that enough because you hear us and a lot of people come up to me and and mention how much fun they have watching the Nickelodeon broadcast and how different it is and how exciting, unique, all that. But the reason that it is that way is because of all the work that everybody behind the scenes puts in, all the graphics they create, all of the the ideas and the segments and the jokes and all of that stuff. It's all of them. And they've got a large crew that does it. I remember that first year, they really took uh, almost an entire 12 months to concoct everything and to create everything. And so it really made life easy for us when we got there. We just had to bring the energy and essentially embrace our inner child. And I'll be curious to see what that looks like now for the Super Bowl. I think they've taken it to a different level. And so I think that's very exciting. I believe that that people are going to appreciate the elements that we're bringing to the table. But I, I also know that this is the Super Bowl. And a lot of people are going to be at Super Bowl parties. And they're going to be watching one. And then maybe kid is going to say, hey, I want to watch another. But uh, I, I'm not sure. I think that we'll know. Once we do the game, I do think the NFL is is really excited about it and they have been really from the start and they've been a great partner in all of this. And so they might look at it and say this is an important thing for the future. I know Roger Goodell was talking a lot about kind of the, the media landscape and where it's going in the future in these couple of years uh, during his media availability to open the, the Super Bowl week, essentially, in Vegas. And I think this does fall into that. Alternate broadcasting falls into that. We know they did the Toy Story broadcast as well. 
on ESPN, ESPN Plus. So I know that they're thinking about this stuff. And I think that we have a chance to go out and try to knock it out of the park and and try to prove that this deserves to be something that can stay now long term. Yeah. Listen, I, I think as a broadcast and as a production, you know, having seen it over the years, it's it's fantastic. And the amount of skilled people in the production end on this is incredible. At the same time, let's, you know, you don't have to answer this. I'm, this is just me filibusting. Let's be blunt. The the NFL obviously wants young people uh, um, in terms of uh, producing fans and as an entree into the league. And this absolutely is a way for them to get access to a demo that they normally would not get from the regular broadcast, which leads me, Noah, to a question I do want to ask you, and that is Las Vegas is sort of a unique setting for the Super Bowl, as Nance and Romo and Tracy Wolfson, et cetera, all know. Uh, in terms of the major, bro- major broadcast, I should say, in terms of the CBS broadcast, they're not going to be shy in terms of showing the strip, in terms of um, highlighting what makes Las Vegas Las Vegas, which essentially has you know gambling and entertainment and stuff like that. That is obviously not kid friendly or kid centric. I don't expect you to be talking about point spreads or anything like that. So, is there any <laughs> is there anything tricky for your broadcast because of the setting of where it is? Because like. I'll just sort of use this like uh, as another example. Let's say the game was in Chicago, right? You could so- show the Chicago skyline and talk about the Sears Tower or whatever, and that kind of fits into the kid-friendly element. But I don't know if like, you know, they'll show the Bellagio. What are you going to go into like the history of like Las Vegas and Bugsy Siegel and stuff? You know what I'm saying? That's not going to be on the Nickelodeon broadcast. So is that a challenge at all for Ve- in terms of Vegas and what Vegas represents for your broadcast specifically? Yeah, kids, let me tell you about Elvis's residency. What <laughs> right, went wrong? Exactly. Why did it go downhill? Yeah, I don't I don't believe that I'm going to try to describe the difference between plus money and minus money and and giving points and taking points and all of that. It'd be fun, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's some kids somewhere that'd be into it, but you're right. I I think it's it's not kosher to do it in that setting and and to do it that way. I I will say this about the setting for us. Our Super Bowl, the Nickelodeon Super Bowl, is coming to you live from Bikini Bottom. So that changes a little bit. It's it's going to be this this blend. And I'm not going to give away too much because I want people to tune in and be curious. But it's going to be this blend between a SpongeBob world and the real world. And with that, I don't think that we're going to be as tied down to the Vegas aspects maybe as we would have been if we were just overall still coming to you completely from Allegiant Stadium. So I think there's a little difference there. I do think the aspects of Vegas, because you can't shy away from that entirely, and and there is still something of selling that and the NFL loving Allegiant Stadium and Vegas and having that now for a long time into the future. And so introducing that to kids and, and talking about how special it is, there, there is still something to that. But there's a there's a tone that we're going to have to use with it. So, yeah, I, I, we're not going to go to the same lengths as maybe Jim and Tony and Tracy and, and Evan and Gene and Jay and all of them are going to do on the CBS broadcast. But we will at least, I think, acknowledge at some points and there will be, I think, pre-produced stuff that will help aid us in doing so. But the main attraction is going to be coming from Bikini Bottom, which I'm very excited for. I'm ready to try a Krabby Patty. That's what I've been dreaming of, Richard. How many NFL games have you done at this point? Do you know? Ooh, that's a good question. Including the Nickelodeon? Yeah, or? including the, yeah, absolutely. Including the Nickelodeon. So this will be our fifth Nickelodeon game, which is crazy to think. I've done 
three regular season. I've done five or six preseason, and I did the postseason this year. So add it up, but it's it's starting to add up a little bit. You know, I've, I feel like I'm not as much a rookie anymore, which is nice. Yeah. Okay. Double digits in the NFL. I like it. Uh, I want to ask you one college football question. Um, you and Todd Blackledge, who was on this podcast um, not too long ago, completed your first year with Catherine Tappern as well as um, the uh, broadcast team for Big Ten Saturday night. Um, what's interesting about this next year, Noah, as you know, is that your games may be significantly better just given the additions that the Big Ten will have. So how did you find this year in terms of just, uh, you know, your first year with this group? But I would imagine you must be really excited because, you know, with the new teams coming in the, to the Big Ten, I feel like every one of those network partners on, a, on that Saturday is probably going to get a really good game. Yeah, I think that we all agree, honestly, Richard. And, and that's college football in a sense, just with these conferences forming and the SEC adding – two more incredible programs and the big 10 obviously getting stronger as a result with the four programs coming from the West coast, the big 12 gets stronger, adding some, some big time teams as well. So we, we know that packages are getting more attractive overall. I'd say that our team is, is thrilled and not just for the, the quality of team, but I think in what we have been discussing was the quality of coach. And that's even with Kalen DeBoer leaving now for Alabama, because Jed Fish comes in at Washington and I had done a game of his at Arizona and, and really was impressed with how quickly he had built that up, even just last year. And that was a game last year where they upset UCLA on the road, essentially ended UCLA's bid for a college football playoff late in the season. And you could see the makings of what they then turned around and did this year, which was a sensational season for Fish. He leaves, he comes to the Big Ten. And now you've got Chip Kelly, you've got Lincoln Riley, and you've got I think what many people consider to be one of the the sparkling young coaches in all of college football and Dan Lanning. And that to me is important is you're adding high quality coaches because you know that high quality coaches are going to bring in high quality players. They're going to create high quality teams and that's going to create high quality games. And so we're excited about that. We're excited also for some really impressive venues. You know, I've never done a game at Oregon or at Washington. So I'm, I'm, thrilled at the just thought of going there, of seeing that environment, seeing what that looks like, and seeing what it looks like for a primetime game. But this year was was a ton of fun. You know, we've had we had a couple of really good games. We had a couple of of lopsided games, but every game we did, we really felt good about. And Todd was such a huge help to me in the booth, his his wealth of experience. I was really glad, you know, I know people had had seen how good he was, but I really felt like people were acknowledging just how good he is as an analyst. He is elite, spectacular, any superlative you can use. He's locked in. I got to see up close and personal firsthand just how much work he puts into every single broadcast, no matter the quality. And I think that what stood out was, and I'd been asked about this, you know, week four, we had Notre Dame and Ohio State in a game that was essentially a walk-off touchdown between two top 10 teams. It's this massive primetime game. And we were thrilled and honored to do it. And then the next week we go and we have Iowa and Michigan state, which a lot of people were like, well, how do you not use that as a letdown? You know, you just had this unbelievable game that everybody's watching. And now you've got this game between teams that are just, eh, you know, not as much of a draw in theory. And I said, no, forget that. We're going to do it anyway. And watching Todd prepare for that, maybe even more than he prepared for the previous game at pretty much the same amount, but 
pouring himself into that game was a great reminder to me of every game's the same, no matter what. And guess what? That game ended up being a ton of fun. Cooper DeGene wins it with a punt return touchdown late in, in the fourth quarter. We had a ton of fun doing the game. We loved being in Iowa. We loved Kinnick. We loved the, the stadium. We loved the tradition of waving to the Children's Hospital, all the aspects of it. So we loved all the pageantry. I thought Catherine had a, a really spectacular year herself. And, and so we're really excited. Our team with, with our producer, Matt Marvin, our director, Charlie Dammeyer, they put us in great positions to be successful. So we're looking forward to taking this further. But we felt like for year one, we developed a very quick chemistry, and that's only going to continue to improve. You had one. You got. You guys got a playoff game this year, uh, an NFL playoff game. You're a group. Uh, trying to remember, Browns Texans. Is that what you guys did? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Uh, hopefully, yeah. But for a second, my memory was gone. But it's good to know that it's still <laughs> around. Um, next year. I, this is off the top of my head, so I'll apologize to the audience if I'm wrong. Maybe no one knows. I think NBC has three games again in the wild card round. Don't quote me on that, but I, but I think I'm right about that. At this point, has NBC officials or have NBC officials told you that your group will get that game? Or is that something that will get determined uh, as the NFL year goes on? Yeah, I think that they're, they're focused more on, on – kind of what's right in front of them. They've got some big events coming up, obviously, and, and that main event is still going to be the Olympics. And I, I would assume that they're going to try to get through the, the the Paris games before they make any sort of big-time decisions moving forward on NFL or anything like that. But I will say that we got a lot of good feedback from our game, which was really awesome for us. You know, that's not necessarily why we're here to do it. We're not here to only just sit and, and try to get praise, but it's nice when it comes and it's really appreciated when it's, when it comes. And so again, I think a, a lot of credit goes to Todd for the work that he put in. He's not living in the NFL world. He hadn't done an NFL game in a long time and he treated it like you have to treat it. He went in, he did his homework. He learned about the teams. He learned about every player. And I, I just remember sitting in our production meetings, we had the, the game in the regular season between the Steelers and the Bengals. And sitting in our production meeting after we'd met with the teams and everything and the knowledge he was bringing and the deep dive analysis he was bringing, I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. <laughs> and sure enough, he delivered. Same thing with a playoff game. Catherine came with, with these great background stories on players and coaches and on the teams overall. And so I, I felt really good about the work that we did. And that's really all you could do. But no, there's there's no, you know, no, nothing officially. No, no. And, you know, I don't really know. You, you could be right on how many games they have. I'm not sure. I, I don't know how it works, honestly. I know that it changes every year, but if there is another game for us, we'll uh, we'll attack it the same way we did this year. Uh, are you? Do you have any Olympic assignments? It's very possible. It's very possible, but I'm not sure that I can go fully into with extra detail. I would say uh, that, well, that the first of all, that's a yes, uh, and it's fine if you. Uh... Yeah, you're not that. That's really that was a terrible p played poker hand by you, Noah. I will not yeah, push you. I'm, I will I'm not, not push you on what you will be doing. But uh, um, I literally, I could smell the passport and baguettes from here. So that's congratulations on that. Thank you, man. I'm a carb guy, so I'm ready to ready to lock it in. Two more for me. Um, you know, you're obviously uh, every, anybody listening to this podcast knows that your uh, your father is Ian Eagle. He's been on this podcast many, many times. Um, he's an exceptional broadcaster. I mean, I've written that to to death at this point. Um, in terms of, and you have said, in terms of being the son of a well known broadcaster, you can only control what you can control in terms of expectations, et cetera. 
I do wonder if you have spent any time talking to other children of well-known broadcasters in the business because there are a lot of them. Joe Buck, obviously, although you guys are of different generations. Olivia Harlan Decker, her dad is Kevin Harlan. Uh, Jack Collinsworth, father of uh, Chris Collinsworth. You know the Golick, uh, Mike Golick Jr. Dad was a long time, uh, you know, very super successful morning show host, and obviously still continues on now. So if this is of interest to you, you certainly could have um, taken Noah. A lot of advice from any of these people, but also some people don't want that advice. They just want to sort of proceed on their own. But I, I was curious if you had ever talked to anybody who had walked the path that um, you're now walking prior to you. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that I was going around one by one and, and trying to to knock them all out or, or go you know about that that way. I, I kind of let it happen organically, and and when I met a lot of those people, then I probably talk things through, you know, Kenny Albert being one for oh, sure. Yeah. The perfect I, one. Yeah. yeah. I had really, uh, really just because we had seen each other over the years and he was always gracious with me. But a lot of those names you mentioned are people that I have talked to for sure. You know, Mike Golick Jr. Someone who's reached out and been very kind. And I think he does great work, obviously now being at NBC with Jack Collinsworth, we, we can talk things through anytime, but you know, I, Pat McCarthy's another one that I know I, we've talked a little bit about things, and I think he's doing really good work now and, and rising up the ranks and, and doing just a, a stand-up job um, as a broadcaster. So I, I do really enjoy having those conversations. I will say one of the things I did when I was in college when the book came out is read Joe Buck's book. And I always like to do stuff like that. I've got to read Kenny's now as well. But to me, it does provide the extra perspective, and I felt like I could relate to it on a big-time level because I was walking in a lot of the same paths, so to speak. I'd love to, to chat with Joe at some point. I'll try to make that happen just because I do think that it's somebody that could provide good information and lived experiences, and maybe I could do things differently that he wishes he could have done differently. So at some point, I'll make that happen, but... It's not something that I forced. I, I, as mentioned, try to let it happen organically. And when it does, I try to take advantage of it. But I, I do think that there is there is a positive to take away from from those conversations because I mean, it's like anything else, right? If you're a troubled musician and you talk to another troubled musician or artist, so to speak, you can share your experiences, bounce things off of each other and, and hope that now you can improve it for the future. I'm not saying any of us are troubled artists. I think pretty much the opposite. I'd say we're very privileged artists, if anything. But I, I do think that there is something to having those conversations. There's something to having that shared experience. And there's this comfort in knowing that you're not the only one who's maybe gone through some of that stuff. So all those names you mentioned, I think do really, really great work. And I do think that's the most important part in any of it. When you follow in, in a parent or a sibling's footsteps in anything, Forget if it's just broadcasting, if it's obviously playing a sport or an instrument or being a doctor or anything. The key is having your work speak for yourself. That's always been my mentality. And so I think that's what any of those people would tell me is to just work your tail off and make sure if you're working your tail off and you're getting better every single time you get on the air, that's going to continue to carry you more than anything else. That's been my mentality. And if I didn't and I, we've talked about this before, Richard, if I, if I was worried about anything else, else, if I was worried about the nepotism side, or if I was worried about any of the, the stuff that comes with it, 
And I'm sure every one of those names would feel the same way. If I was worried about it, I wouldn't have gone into this. That's not why I got into this. I got into this because I have a genuine love and passion for broadcasting. And so I think the conversations I've had with those people, that's kind of been the overarching theme is that we all have a genuine love. And a lot of that comes from the parent in front of us that had a genuine passion and love for the craft. And I think that we'll all continue to move that forward. And if there's a third generation, which we've seen with the Carey family and others, if there's a fourth generation, I think that's really cool and really awesome. It's like the family business at just a, a very grand stage. But it, it's been a, a cool journey. And I definitely would love to reach out to maybe some of the other ones I hadn't talked to yet. I appreciate you answering that. Uh, last one. This So what's interesting for you this week is um, prior to the you arriving in Vegas – you got a couple of college basketball games, right? That you got to do. This is not a, this is not an insignificant week for you in terms of travel and assignments. No, no. So in Minneapolis now, we've got Minnesota and Michigan State, and actually a, a big game in the Big Ten. Minnesota coming off back-to-back victories. Michigan State has now won ten of their last thirteen. So both are trying to make that push in the conference and into the tournament. And then next week, right after, so I go from Minneapolis to Vegas. I've got stuff throughout the week, essentially Thursday, Friday, Saturday into Sunday, and then leave Monday and fly to Chicago, drive to Champaign for Illinois and Michigan next Tuesday. So it's a fun ping pong journey. And then we go straight back into college basketball to Nets to college basketball and do that all the way through essentially March into April, which is is fun. It's that time of year. I enjoy that time of year. I love basketball. I love football. So the overlap season is my favorite season. Yeah, I love that Gus and uh, Stephanie White got a chance to do Caitlin Clark. Uh, oh, how good cool was that? Day. That game was awesome too. I know. I give. I, I got to give uh, Fox a lot of credit. They've uh, they've put a lot of women's basketball on Big Fox. Um, well, at this point, I mean, in many ways, like news and sports are sort of holding the entire linear system up. But it's cool. It's great to see. And uh, Gus is phenomenal on like those kind of big basketball events. And uh, you're right. It was a great game and it was a ton of fun. Hopefully, uh, yeah, to yeah. your point, though, I will say credit to Gus, too, because from what I've heard, he's asked to do those games. He yes. wants to be on the Caitlin Clark because he knows that. There's two things to that. One, it's a big game, obviously, when she's she's going to be a draw. And he doesn't care if it's going to be a blowout or not because he's going to get to do her game. But two, I think he knows that he can elevate that status based on who he is. And so I do think he's he's doing the right thing by trying to get onto those games. Eventually, he's going to move to the Big East tournament so that he's got to get into the Big East world before that. But a credit to him for for going there, for making it happen, for making it sound like a, a vintage Gus Jones. Johnson type game and obviously Caitlin Clark is as spectacular of entertainment as you're going to find in sports right now. Yeah, he's legit. I mean, you know this. He he's a legitimate hooper. Like Gus Gus was happy to do four like Bucks games a couple of years yeah. ago, whatever it was, 10 Bucks games. Like I'm I'm telling you if Gus was like at, you know, West 4th in New York City just calling like a couple guys playing pickup, he'd be just super excited doing it. He he is a legit basketball lover and that is a perfect person to have when you have like you said event kind of programming caitlin clark i'll tell you actually as great as caitlin clark is juju watkins who's a freshman at usc is probably gonna uh eventually top her stardom once usc gets some more national games so so the crazy the crazy thing there and i know we only have so much time left here but 
the the crazy thing with Juju and a couple others is Fox did the junior NBA world championships in 2018 and 19, summer of 18 and summer of 19. And it was basically the best 13 and 14 year old boys and girls from around the world. And I was the sideline reporter both years. And Gus actually did the first year uh, play by play for the final rounds, the Saturday, Sunday. And it was really a fascinating overall event because they're bringing people from around the world. But it's really cool now because a lot of those kids have become 18, 19 year olds. So we're talking about Juju Watkins was there. We're talking about Kyle Filipowski was there. And then first round picks, Grady Dick was there. Uh, Jarris Walker was there. Cason Wallace was there. So these kids are now getting drafted. So we got to see them at 13, 14. Jarris Walker was the seventh overall pick this past year. Jumped over a grown man at 14 years old in the dunk contest. I can't even dunk on an eight-foot rim, Richard. How do you think I felt watching a 14-year-old do that? But now at least I could say, all right, he was a seventh overall pick. But it is cool. So Juju... She was like that at 13, and she she just had this aura about her at 13 that is carried all the way through. I need living in Toronto, Noah. I need I need Grady uh, to develop in the next two <laughs> yeah, years. Yes, like yeah. Listen, he's young. He's young. He's got a great personality. I can tell yeah. you that much. Yeah, and yeah. actually, just uh, this week actually had his best game as a pro because they're going to play him now. Um, you know, given uh, given where the Raptors are, and Bruce Brown is likely to be traded. So yeah, I mean, we'll know in the next year and a half if. Uh, if it's going to happen. But yeah, he he has taken to Toronto and he seems like a great dude. So I, I, I wish him luck. He hit huge shots in the championship game. It was, he was, he was on the, the, I guess it was the Midwest team. He was from Kansas, the Kansas area. And a lot of them were Kansas city kids. They all came together and it was them versus the team from Africa, Middle East. And they had this kid, his name was Maruf Mamine. And he was, he was basically averaging a triple-double in the tournament. And Gus loved saying his name. Loved it. He was like, Maroof! He might have said, Maroof is on fire. Started singing the song. I don't know. But I do know that Grady Dick hit like three or four big threes to help seal the game. So he's a big-time shot maker at 13, 14 years old. I think he's, he's got that in him. All right. I like hearing that. I need some Duncan Robinson action from that guy as we, as we head forward. <laughs> nice. uh, Noah Eagle will serve as the play-by-play voice, along with analyst Nate Burleson, for Nickelodeon's broadcast of the Super Bowl. That obviously kicks off uh, around the same time as the, the – not around the same time, exactly the same time as the big game, 6.30-ish, but they'll be on a little bit before that. So that's your alternative Super Bowl broadcast. It will not be the last alternative broadcast, I can promise you that. And when ESPN ABC gets the game, there'll probably be 75 alternative broadcasts. But Noah's uh, he's piloting some uh, pioneering stuff here. Also, you can catch him on Big Ten Saturday night with Todd Blackledge and Catherine Tappan in terms of NBC and Peacock's major Big Ten game and then catch him on College Basketball and Peacock as well as uh, the Tennis Channel and uh, by everything he said here, although he did not confirm it, I I would expect uh, uh, some parlez-vous français for Noah as he heads towards Paris later this summer. Noah, uh, thanks so much, man. I enjoyed this very much. Travel safe and... uh, And we'll be checking out your Nickelodeon broadcast. Thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard, or should I say, merci. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Noah Eagle. That was terrific. Uh, I appreciate his his insight. And uh, he's been, uh, you know, he's absolutely established himself as a 
uh, as a really, really good young broadcaster. And so um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see and follow his career. And I am sure the Nickelodeon broadcast uh, will do well. If you like these podcasts, head to the archives. Uh, the previous podcast to Noah, uh, I did one on what it's like to cover the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was with my athletic colleague Nate Taylor. Did one on what it's like to cover the San Francisco 49ers with my athletic colleague Tim Kawakami. That they were uh, um, they were really good. That was kind of interesting if you're into sort of how a team gets covered. Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough were on this podcast recently in terms of what it's like to call an all-star game. Chantel Jennings on women's basketball. Had a roundtable with Alex Sherman and uh, Chad Finn on uh, on what the Netflix uh, TKO deal means uh, heading forward, particularly what it means for sports. And Paul Feinbaum was on this podcast in January, as were Karen Brockin and Hillary Mandel, who are big-time deal-makers for Endeavor when it comes to, the, when it comes to many different sports. Uh, again, if you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support, and thank you for listening. We will see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. <laughs>